Hello, my name is Douglas Bruce. I'm so pleased to return to Harriet's uh, to further explore the, the diary of Charlie Broadwood and in particular his uh, Jindy speech when he was school captain. Jindy, 7th of June 1915. Games Day vanished in a blood-red sunset. The following Sunday I spent quietly for the morrow. I had to deliver a speech in the course of our June Day celebrations in the capacity of captain of the school. Monday the 7th of June dawned a lovely day. The school assembled about 9.30am and up until 10 o'clock we spent the time congratulating the winners in the games, comparing photographs etc. When the ten sounded from the big tower, the schoolboys took up their places in the quad and I ascended onto the platform, along with the other bigwigs, namely the head, the Lord Provost and a big number of governors. The proceedings were carried through as reported by the newspapers, but perhaps a further comment is necessary. The Lord Provost read his speech first. It was prosy and did not appeal to the schoolboy. We had all heard often enough all about the value of the old hospital school, the wisdom of the governors, etc, etc, and it did not bear repetition. Then I delivered my oration, and I flatter myself that I gripped the audience from beginning to end. When I sat down, it was the proudest moment of my life. The cheers were prolonged, but perhaps that was on account of my personality, <laughs> and not my speech, but perhaps both. Mr. Latimer then spoke, but as he read his speech, with head bowed, unfortunately only a limited number could hear what he said. Our two celebration songs filled the rest of the time. The Heritor wrote, Jundi this year provided a much quieter celebration, which fact, however, did not detract from its appropriate solemnity. The chief item of interest was our school captain's oration, which was clearly and finely delivered. Charlie accounted his speech in his diary. Once more we are gathered together to celebrate the birthday of George Heriot, our great founder. It is difficult not to associate mirth and pleasance with our Jundi celebrations, but this year it is impossible for us to enter wholeheartedly into festivities. The shadow of war hangs over our land and even casts his gloom on these proceedings. We feel today that we should rejoice in the great heritage of George Heriot, but how shall we do so in the present hour of trouble? The hardest task we have to face is to be worthy of the men who have gone before us. First among these is our noble founder, a man whose heart had all been driven by a divine compassion for the fatherless children of his native town. Let us be worthy of that compassion. Let us be worthy of his great gift the scope of which has widened and deepened as the years have rolled on. These lie, too, behind us as the honoured traditions of the school, traditions which have come down fair and unsullied throughout the centuries, and along with them a magnificent record in everything that is important in the life of a school. It behoves us then to keep the fair fame of our school unsmirched and to rival, if possible, eclipse the glorious record of our predecessors. Remember that to these men we have a duty and a responsibility 
of which we dare not fail. Especially is this true today. Far off in the broken fields of France and of Flanders and the Near East, many of our red boys have fallen into action. To them must have occurred more than once our favourite motto, I distribute cheerfully. And how well they have acted up to it. Cheerfully and without a murmur, they have made the supreme sacrifice. They have given their lives for their country and for the cause of righteousness. Dulce et decorum est pro patria mori. Let me now speak more directly to those who, like myself, are soon to sever their connection as pupils with the old school. To them I say, let us remember the name of George Heriot, with all that it means to a true Heriotor. Let us cherish the traditions of our school and in the conduct of our lives. Let us be animated in these days of great happenings by the Spirit, which in a generous interpretation pervades the motto of our great founder. Under the riven and old-age banners of our race, let us be prepared to give cheerfully the glowing ardour and rigorous effort of our manhood, the steady constancy and unyielding determination of our mature years, for it is only by so giving ourselves, without measure and without stint, that our banners can be borne to victory. Scotland's banners, who shall gaze on their faded folds unstirred, who in these imperial days hear and thrilled their martial word, down the long street, cheer on cheer, hark, the trampling troops go by. Memories by these banners strived, teach our soldiers how to die. And if we act throughout our lives in this spirit, then we may rest assured that we shall add nothing but glory and honour to the undying memory of our noble founder. July 22nd, 1915. At last, closing day came. The war certificates in place of prizes were given out and we as a school separated never to meet again as far as I was concerned. We bade our adieu to all our old chums. We severed friendships that had lasted years. There was no certainty, as before, that we would all meet again, and the parting of the ways seemed more bitter than ever. As Will Brand and I left the prefect's room and crossed the quad, I felt that forevermore I was an outcast in the school. We passed out under the pen for the last time as schoolboys. For the last time, our first 15 caps journeyed together around the notice boards. We took one last glance round and hurried away from the scenes of so many happy days and years. We wended our way round the terraces, said goodbye to the gardeners and passed out into the world. For the first time, we realised how much we owed to the school. There had been trials during the past years dull periods and depressing work, but once passed, we looked back with feelings of pleasure, tinged with regret and longing on our schoolboy days. Now we were in a position to understand the true value of the poem, which appeared in the July 1914 Heritor. L'Envoy, still in your wainscot room unfold the beauty of English letters, your reward the same. To stain the dull spun weft of schoolboy duty, with crimson or romance, and in the name of classes that will never meet again, whose school day primes your goodness still made brighter. Accept these limping verses. I remain the least of these, the writer. My school days ended, and with no light heart I dragged myself away from the scenes of so many triumphs and happiness, 
For the last time, I wended my way slowly along Lorison Place, down Lady Lawson Street, Castle Terrace, West End and Queensferry Street. I felt that I was no longer a great man. My greatness I seemed to have left up at school. However, there was no help for it. I had to face the worst, and it had to come. I was no longer a schoolboy. My school days were ended. After leaving school in 1915, Broadwood received his commission as a lieutenant in the 14th Royal Scots, where he served in France as a brigade signal officer. After the First World War, Broadwood returned to rugby and played as scrum half for the FP rugby team for many years before hanging up his boots. After retiring from the field as a player, Broadwood spent many years refereeing and was the president of the FP club from 1946 to 1949. Broadwood trained as an English teacher and rejoined Harriers, this time as part of the teaching staff in 1925. In addition to teaching English, he coached rugby at Harriers and was the editor of the sports section of the Heritor for many years. After 37 years on the teaching staff at Harriers, Broadwood retired in 1962. Uh, well, I think you'll agree that was another fascinating excerpt from Charlie Broadwood's diary, and it was fun for me to read, and indeed quite a sobering experience, because I didn't really know much about Charlie Broadwood's war years or indeed the lead up to it. It must have been quite a period for school pupils at that time.